Welcome to Tech Insights from InfoTech Research Group, the podcast where a group of expert analysts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. Windows 11 is here because it just makes sense. And we're here again to tell you all the highlights of the main event. Last week, we gave you a preview of what to expect from the new release. And now that Microsoft has given us the official presentation, we have some new details to dig into. And to help me do that today, I'm joined by two InfoTech analysts that are fresh off watching the event. We have Infrastructure Practice Lead, John Anand. Welcome, John. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me back. And we have Senior Research Analyst, Ken Weston. Welcome, Ken. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. Uh, first impressions, Any anything you want to say, jokes, or uh, just what, <laughs> uh, what, what was the main impression you got of watching... Uh, the Windows 11 event. I I didn't get to see it, unfortunately. It was a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> it's like new Windows 11, and then the feed stops working, which is like, oh my gosh, I need to get that fixed. And then there's apps in the App Store for free to developers, and then there's Android apps. But then bamboozled, it's by Amazon. It's it's a roller coaster. It was just a roller coaster. Yeah. Wow. John? Ken had a much more excitable experience than I did. I think I was uh, stunned by the uh, large number of very subtle differences that they kept pointing out in terms of the uh, small iterations to this interface or that interface. Um, and, and the uh, the nice uh, slow pace of, you know, everyone as a family working through their house with all the different windows. So uh, two different perspectives on on how that launch event sort of came off. Fair enough. All I would say is um, having watched the seven minute uh, highlights video, I just feel like Apple has set the standard for how to do a product launch event and everybody's taking notes from them because you could have like just inserted Apple products into those scenes and the storytelling. Uh, very similar approach. So uh, that's all I, I would add, uh, having not actually watched the entire event. But I did see that seven-minute highlight video on The Verge. Uh, I'll mention that if anyone wants to check it out. Let's start with the user interface and design, though. From what I can tell, the leaked early release showed us everything that we really need to know here. You still have Snap to make the most of your screen. And when you rotate, not only is it smooth, but we've stacked them on top of each other because it just makes sense. We've also added gestures, and they're the same ones you use on the trackpad today. You can use the new touch keyboard, which is amazing. And we talked about the new look, John, some of the new features to keep your interface organized last week. Um, but was there anything here that you wanted to touch on, either of you? Just to follow up on your comment about sort of taking their playbook from the world of Apple, um, you know, moving the taskbar into the center does make an awful lot of sense for sort of the way that people have been engaging to, to work. We're not sort of a bottom left corner uh, kind of, you know, draw our, our eye to that anymore. Uh, and again, you know, Apple did that a long, long time ago. That's sort of the, you know, other than some transparency, some pains, frosted panes of glass and some rounded edges, you know, that's the UI difference that's, you know, looking that I think is actually going to make an, a, a real productivity difference. Even looking at the redesign of the logo or the Windows Tart button, what that looks like, it it's exactly that. It's just an iteration. There's not a revolutionary change here. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. We're in a time of tremendous change and upheaval. 
it's nice that Microsoft is keeping something consistent. Right. Okay, so let's get into some of the Meteor features then. Uh, I think the biggest news is probably the fact that we get Android apps that could now run on Windows. Android apps coming to Windows. They can be integrated in the start. They'll be integrated in your taskbar. You can window the way Carmen showed you earlier with these apps, and they're discoverable through the Microsoft Store using the Amazon App Store. Uh, so Microsoft says it's using Intel Bridge technology to make this possible and that a partnership with Amazon also helped, but somehow these are still available in the Windows Store. I don't get it. Can someone explain this to me? Ken, did you want to give it a try? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just Microsoft continuing to be really good frenemies with Amazon. As long as we can push out Google, the owner of Android, we can still maintain that this is a Microsoft environment. But we've seen the partnership between Microsoft and Amazon already started with the phase out of Cortana in um, in in favor of the Amazon Alexa, Amazon Alexa. Ah. Um, well, so well, why, does it, think, why does Microsoft need Amazon to do this? Because uh, because Microsoft has already tried to set up an app store and they've failed spectacularly. Not only have they failed at setting up an app store, in order to entice people to use it, they're giving it away for free to developers as long as you bring your own payment mechanism. And I don't think that they would have been able to get that level of partnership uh, with Google, and they would would not have been able to get that um, to get that same buy-in from the Google Pay, uh, the Google Play Store. Right. So, is it just that Amazon already has all of these apps organized in a way that's accessible, and they can bring that, they can integrate that into Windows, and they're not Google? Is that what 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 the answer is here? They're not Google. They already have curated all of these apps. And I think Microsoft is trying to target the consumer environment much more here. Uh, Amazon has a great hold on the on the consumer environment, on the consumer uh, market space right now with all of their Alexa and Fire devices. And this helps Amazon to be a more serious contender in the consumer space. This also helps Microsoft by giving them a leg up. They don't need to completely reinvent all of that architecture without giving Google the keys to the Microsoft Windows 11 kingdom. Which is a questionable play from Microsoft because it's not like, uh, you know, while Google and Microsoft not might not be friends, it's not like AWS and Microsoft, you know, don't compete as well. Uh, that partnership, Brian, that confuses me. I mean, I see Microsoft doubling down on their bet with Intel, right? You know, using the Intel Bridge technology, uh, which has got to be a win for um, Pat Gelsinger now that he's sort of taken over at Intel, although I think he's more data center side than, than PC chip side. Uh, but, you know, the renewing of that partnership and sort of the big vote of confidence, especially given the fact that Apple dropped the Intel architecture like a hot potato, what, about 18 months ago. So, um, you know, that was an understandable alliance the the amazon microsoft one i'm not sure yet what's the you know where where there's a win there okay so the partnership part is interesting but the other the other thing to consider is just the idea that we'll be running android apps in a windows environment what comes to mind is some of the implications of that for you 
the Android ecosystem was always nicely tightly coupled, and that was sort of the advantage of having, you know, sort of Google step in and be the the arbiter in that environment. Um, you know, a nice seamless sort of identity that goes across profiles that goes across, uh, you know, your multiple devices and multiple apps. Um, and uh, I think what Microsoft is trying to get there, they want their own identity, they want their own management of that, that's what's going to be sticky, that's what's going to be persistent. Uh, if they can lure those developers that have spent their, their you know, time and, and become experts in developing Android apps, if they can find some way to lure them as some sort of toehold hold into the Microsoft ecosystem, I think they're going, I think what they're trying to do is address the biggest deficiency of the Microsoft Store, which Ken pointed out earlier has been, you know, a relatively dismal failure in that it just never had any of the cool apps, especially on the consumer side. Yes, Adobe Photoshop and some of the other ones, but most enterprise apps were still packaged up and delivered through SCCM. Consumer apps, you know, I mean, I recall a couple of sort of bad fantasy role-playing games and, and uh, you know, ports of pinball emulators in, in the Microsoft Store the last time I saw. Nothing, you know, like Angry Birds or uh, or, or any of the tower defense games to uh, to make me run to my Microsoft store. And this is another play directly out of the Apple playbook. We see Apple already supporting or striving to support iOS apps on Macs. And unfortunately, there's no Microsoft phone. I say that with a very heavy heart. It had a wonderful user interface, but there's no Microsoft phone. And in order to replicate that, they well, they can't go with Apple and put iOS devices on Windows on Windows 11. So the other option is Google and Android. Well, okay, not many people remember that Microsoft uh, phone interface. Uh, that, that's a dig, uh, digging deep there. But um, I want to bring this back to security. I mean, our Android apps don't have the best reputation for security as nobody is actually approving their entry into the store. Uh, they, is this a new attack vector that IT admins are going to have to worry about? I don't think IT admins are going to have to worry about this because I don't see any IT shop migrating to Windows 11 in the next five years. <laughs> really? Okay, well, let's talk about that. Why, why not? Five years is a long time. So we were already promised that Windows 10 would be the last version of Windows. Uh, consistently and historically, IT professionals have always skipped a version of Microsoft Windows operating systems. They didn't, they skipped over Vista. Uh, they skipped over Windows 8 and 8.1. And when I'm looking at what new features the that you get from a productivity standpoint. I don't think that being able to keep the same desktop across multiple devices, I don't think that the ability to have a new attack vector via Android apps is um, enough of a persuasive reason to move to Microsoft Windows 11. Of course, we haven't heard if there are going to be more security features and Microsoft may very well come up uh, with new uh, security features that do make it more persuasive to migrate to Windows 11, but these like, ooh, auto HDR, that doesn't give me the IT admin the reason to migrate to Windows 11. Okay, interesting. So you don't think the feature set is compelling enough? I mean, this will be pushed out as one of like basically an upgrade to Windows 10. Uh, so I, w I guess though IT admins are ultimately in control of which of those service packs do get delivered. Um, so you're sort of saying, Ken, that 
it's the secure it's the support life for windows 10 that'll motivate a move to windows 11 more than anything else i i think so it i i sort of have a slightly contrary opinion there brian um depending on what microsoft ends up doing with that store right if microsoft can get that store actually working the way that they've been promising for years and you know God knows if they can, but if anyone can, it's probably Satya Nadella. Um, if they can get it working where it's actually an enterprise tool to replace the, you know, the, the cobbled together software delivery and patching that we have through SCCM and Endpoint Manager and all the other various solutions, then that might actually be the way to do it, right? If we can get an enterprise store where uh, all of my apps are available to my users and, you know, the licensing is taken care of, you know, with the corporate user ID, like, you know, Anand at mycompany.com, um, and then supplement that with, you know, the consumer apps that are available through the Microsoft Store, that might actually drive the adoption of the enterprise into, into Windows 11. Similarly, if they use that store as a control point, like you said, they don't, haven't historically done it. The Google Play Store, the Android stores generally don't do it compared to Apple, which has a very, very rigorous vetting process for any app that's going to be published. But if they put the security on that end of the store before they allow a developer to come play in their ecosystem, that could also do a lot to assuage the concerns of your IT CISOs. Yeah, and users might just want this if they're updating their home Windows devices and they think this is cool and that people don't want to look at old interfaces, right? It suddenly feels like it's working like five years ago. So they might get some user pressure to move forward. Um, and it's an interesting thing to watch, uh, Ken, now that you've said that, I'm going to be looking at this because uh, what Microsoft really solved with Windows 10 was they uh, solved this problem where there was like so many different users running various versions of Windows. There wasn't like uh, a lot of people just stuck on Windows XP for a long time. Uh, some people were on Windows 7. Not many people made the jump to 8, right? So um, Microsoft sort of solved that with Windows 10 by just offering it as a free upgrade that everybody could have access to for a year. Um, so Windows 10 by far is like the majority. Most Windows users are on Windows 10, and that solves developer problems too. And so if they've lost that, like if they lose that and not – the majority of people don't move to Windows 11. I think that is a big problem for them. So that's interesting. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on from security because there were some other features that are worth digging into here. And uh, John, you and I also talked about last week about uh, the necessary um, better play to developers that Microsoft had to make and that it was really necessary to reinvent the Microsoft Store so they have done that, and we touched on it a bit with these Android apps. We've rebuilt the Microsoft Store from the ground up, and we built it for speed. And whether you use the commerce engine that we help you with, and you want industry-leading rev share from that, or bring your own commerce engine. And if you do bring your own commerce engine, you keep 100% of your revenue. We keep zero. So Microsoft will now let developers use their own commerce engines and payment systems. And if they do, they won't have to pay Microsoft anything just for being on the store. So um, that's a pretty eye-opening value proposition to developers, I think. 
it especially given some of the buzz that we've heard from people's dissatisfaction specifically with the apple store play model in terms of you know the cut they take off of you know both an initial app purchase and then an in-app purchase and some of the um preferential treatment perhaps that that uh, various larger players are given in that ecosystem uh, microsoft has done you know arguably what it does best and sort of cut through all that by by just you know a race to the bottom eliminating it Look, you know, here's our standard terms and conditions, and that's basically for the handling of the money. Uh, if you bring your own code that can handle the money, then we won't even get involved in that. So it it you know the gives the developer full control over their uh, monetization model, which is really really appealing to them, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm I'm, su I'm really uh, surprised actually that they went in this direction. I wasn't expecting this move. I was thinking they might change the margins a bit, but they're really just opening it up here. What are your thoughts, Ken? I think it's much more equitable to developers. We no longer have gaming platforms uh, subsidizing the existence of financial apps running in my, in my store. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that the 0% is going to be sustainable over the long term. Uh, if they do want to maintain any sort of uh, moderation of the apps that are in this store. Now, I am really intrigued at the notion of Win32 apps being included in the in the Windows 11 App Store. Um, I think that's going to make uh, that's going to be a very persuasive item. It's going to make it a lot easier for me to just host and list all of my apps for download from one central spot. But it's. Uh, I don't Did know. they confirm that that that's uh, going to happen with the Windows Store now or the Microsoft Store? Uh, that's I a good question. I didn't hear that being said in the okay. in the briefing. But okay, so it's still a question. But yeah, they were talking about this idea with the 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 payment options, the commerce engines. So uh, you know, on one side, this is sort of an anti-monopolistic move. From Microsoft to say yes, we can. We'll host you on our platform, and we'll we'll be a channel for you to reach your uh, users, and we won't even take a cut. We're not even going to charge you for that privilege. Um, but then on the other hand, <laughs> we've got Microsoft Teams being integrated right into Windows, uh, and I'm not surprised to see that. John, but do, go ahead. Sorry, just yeah, just before we leave that entirely, because what you yeah. brought up there, that's not uncommon for the Microsoft model from the get-go. Right, because Microsoft didn't used to charge, never used to charge right. application developers for the privilege of running their apps on the Windows machine. Right, there was no sort of you know notion of that. You know, I bought my Microsoft uh, OEM copy of of Windows 98, and then I went out and I bought my uh, OEM copy of Corel Draw. Right, and mm -hmm. I paid two different you know entities for that privilege. So right. in that regard, Microsoft hasn't changed. It's going back to their roots and hasn't really changed their their initial business model from That's 30 a good years point. ago. I argue that it is even more monopolistic that monopolistic oh. that they are offering this okay. for free. They're subsidizing the cost of maintaining an app store by either relying on their Windows 10 OEM, by relying on Microsoft Azure and Microsoft 365 sales. If I'm a company like Roblox or if I'm trying to build out my own indie independent app store, I don't have access to those items. I'm going to have to charge you a percentage in order to host and deliver apps all around the world. So I think it is actually more monopolistic than not. 
Okay, interesting. I, I read it the other way, but uh, you, you see it from a different perspective. And then, John, to your uh, point there, you're right that that used to be the model, but that was also when, to, to your point, you bought Windows and you paid a transaction fee. So Windows, they had the business model of your transactional, uh, you're going to, you know, we'll make a certain margin from that skew. Uh, but now that the, it's free, right? It's a platform, yeah. and they've got to find ways to monetize users. So I'd expect them to take a margin on the apps, right? Which is why that surprised me, um, because now they've changed the business model here. Okay, should we talk about Microsoft Teams now? Ah, Certainly. Can we? <laughs> I'm super excited today to announce to you Teams integration directly into Windows. Now, you can connect with one touch, the icon, front and center, on the taskbar. It's just fast and you're in. You can chat, call, video call with anyone, anywhere in the world. And no matter what platform you're using, it doesn't matter. So as I said, it's integrated into Windows now, uh, which did not surprise me because uh, I really can see that Microsoft wants Teams to be the central hub of our work days, replacing Outlook. Uh, please replace Outlook. Uh, and, and now they are helping to make it the hub of consumer communications as well, I suppose. So what were your reactions to seeing Teams integrated like this, Ken? Flashbacks to the Internet Explorer court battles. I may just have been a wee tyke back in those days, but oh boy, are IP lawyers going to get a little spin on this. That's where my <laughs> mind went too. Yeah, those old Netscape battles and um, if if Microsoft was taken to court for antitrust reasons because uh, of including IE in Windows, is, isn't this the same? Like, isn't this cutting off competitive advantage for Slack, for example, or other options? I I mean, I'm not a lawyer and I don't really even try to play one on TV, but <laughs> the, uh, the results of a lot of those litigations was just the ability to install something else. Right. And to not make it, you know, it might be the first or it might be, you know, installed with, but you had to be able to disable it and you had to be able to use something else. And I don't think that we're seeing anything different there. Um, you know, Apple's gotten a long way being able to use iMessage uh, and things like that without, you know, sort of as an integrated part of their operating system without necessarily having to say swap it out for Zoom or, or you know, Microsoft Teams or any other sort of competitive technologies. I mean, and integrating something into an operating system nowadays isn't the same thing as it was in those days. They really did want to have IE be the desktop or Windows experience there for a while. And it never materialized partially in uh, because of the antitrust lawsuits. But I mean, now to have something integrated into the operating system, I mean, it's just a matter of launch time for, for an application load, really, right? Like the difference, you know, we're not waiting, you know, to see the bar spin or the circle spin to, for an application to launch, even if it is a big app for a terribly long time having their components already turned on in the operating system, having them all ready to go so that when you double click on that icon, instead of it being a five millisecond load time, it's a one millisecond load time. That's integration in the modern era. So I don't see this okay. as, as that much of anything. Okay, I mean, I, also, I wonder if it'll work. Like, what, I also what, have something yeah. like 13 messaging apps on my phone plus actual mm. SMS. So perhaps uh, you're right in that there's not just two web browsers trying to duke it out for supremacy right now. Right. 
I'd like to see what you were alluding to, Brian, is a radical redesign of how I spend my day to day life. Right now, I'm a typical, somewhat typical office worker. You know, I live out of Outlook. I live out of my Outlook calendar. That is functionally my Windows yep. environment, right? And I agree with you. It is it is subpar. It is less than ideal. If they can change that through Teams, through transparent glass with rounded edges, I don't care. But if they can find some way to materially change that experience, that's where I think they will be, would be wise to go. Yeah, well, I'm already going through it now. I, I notice I have these mental um, battles internally of like, is this an email or an IM? And uh, if you're asking yourself that question, it probably doesn't really matter. You can just send somebody a message um, on Teams. Like, like you don't really need um, Outlook so you can have your signature at the bottom of, of your email. Um, and then like they have the calendar application in there too, right? So mm -hmm. you, you do see it cannibalizing um, what what Outlook does, and and I guess I can see um, the desire from a consumer point of view to to offer that video communication and chat uh, and presence feature as part of the operating system. I think people do expect that from a device when they get it out of the box these days. Okay, well, do we know, John, what devices can install Windows 11 and what the upgrade path looks like? So the upgrade path is going to be, as you said, available through sort of their general update channels, provided your IT enterprise admin hasn't blocked them. Um, I was reading through the hardware specifications. They seemed relatively benign. Uh, I think it was sort of a dual core 64-bit processor, uh, a DirectX 12 graphics, uh, DirectX 12 compatible graphics card. The biggest stumbling block, you know, and I forget how much RAM and you know, 64 gigs of storage space available, and and I forget sort of what the RAM required, but but nothing terribly onerous. The biggest stumbling block would have been the trusted platform module 2.0 chip, uh, which you know. TPMs have been really, really common on laptops for an awfully long time. A little less common on desktops, perhaps, although you know, frequently it was an add-on that you could get you could get, or if you bought a corporate series board or business series board, it was it was there if you're a DIY. If you bought, you know, through your Dell or HP OEM, as long as you're in the corporate business class machines, they were always there. That's the one I think is gonna, you know, trip us up because that's an, a physical chip. That's not a software update or add-on. Uh, you really have to get the two point version of that chip and rarely are they going to be a, a field replaceable unit it's going to be you know something that's soldered onto a motherboard something that is not you know upgradable in any you know material sense and if you're a pc video gamer who built their computer around 2014 such as myself for example for example, um, you're now looking at how can I get a TPM chip installed into my desktop? Can I find a 20-pin TPM chip that's still being produced and manufactured today? And even if I can, will it support TPM 2.0? All open questions that I'm now I'm now wow. visiting as part of my roller coaster ride. But I do think that it does allude to and foreshadow to the ability to encrypt first Windows 10 home devices, not sorry, Windows 10 home devices, uh, to encrypt Windows 11 home devices. Okay. Uh, that's a capability not given to Windows 10 home users right now. And that could be a very persuasive reason why an IT shop would want to migrate their users over to Windows 11, even on their home computers. Okay, interesting. That does sound like a real tripping uh, block there because, as you say, John, it's not like you can just swap out a piece of hardware 
to get this capability. Uh, it, it's more complicated um, process, or I guess you're replacing your motherboard. That's pretty heavy duty. Well, quite honestly, the thought of you know pulling open a PC as an enterprise service director, an enterprise end user service manager, I think would just you know cause people to go into convulsions and shocks. I mean, I don't think anyone liked doing that back when the days when we legitimately did do things like regular RAM upgrades or possibly the move from spinning disks to SSDs to get a little bit of extra life out of our PCs. Um, I don't think anyone wants to go back to that day where they have to physically intake, touch, disassemble, reassemble, repackage, and then redeploy uh, something as clunky as a PC or a laptop anymore much easier to just spend the thousand bucks and get a new one right good point okay well any final thoughts or uh favorite moments from the event that you guys wanted to share uh, i definitely miss going to amusement parks or theme parks with roller coasters and this has filled that hole in my heart <laughs> I am so excited to get my hands on Windows 11 for as a consumer, um, but it's like, how am I going to be able to do this? Given your uh, old gaming PC uh, How much is this going there? to cost, given mm -hmm. that silicon is at a global shortage right now? I like the fact, Ryan, that you've uh, brought the yin and the yang on here. You've got sort of the, the younger generation, the enthusiast, uh, the, the up-and-comer, the, the relevant generation. Uh, and then you've also invited the old fuddy-duddy fart like me, uh, who is entirely underwhelmed by this, uh, who is uh, sort of sitting there saying, Widget, they aren't new. They're really not. They've been around for a long time. They're crappy then. I hope they're not going to be crappy now. Uh, a news feed. Oh, my God, what a novel idea. So, you know, remember RSS news feeds that we used to have? Oh, okay, so we've brought those back again. Again, not new, was useful then, yes, will be useful now. So um, excellent balanced reporting, Mr. Jackson, uh, you know, both the enthusiasm and the uh, entirely underwhelmed opinion of myself. Are you telling me that Microsoft finally is going to give me a replacement for Google Reader? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I'm still waiting for a good one, honestly. <laughs> okay, well, I think that wraps it up. Thanks for listening to our podcast about Windows 11. Uh, part two. And thank you, John. Thank you, Ken, for joining me to tell us everything that we missed from the event or pull out the highlights for analysis from it. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thank you for the invitation. And I'll just mention that uh, we don't know the release date for Windows 11 yet. Microsoft didn't share it, but it sounds like as early as October, but not later than Christmas. And Thank you, listeners, for listening to Tech Insights again. Remember, we have a new episode every Monday morning, so subscribe to that podcast, whether you're listening on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or on Google Podcasts, or really wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Tech Insights. I'm Brian Jackson. Brian Jackson.